Distinguished foreign guests, Herr Talman, kära Örebroare. The final tap thing is that, you know, he says hello Cleveland and they're not in Cleveland. That's the whole joke. Of course, joke. yeah. Förlåt, Arvoga. Actually, our current king is famous for this. That he did like, kära uh, Örebroare, dear Örebro livers. And he was not in Örebro. Which is like maybe quite important as a king. It's having bad a if you're the king and you don't know where yes, you are. Yes, I mean, if you're like a rock in, band. <laughs> yeah, he's not in a heavy metal band. So, yeah. But I'll do the formal stuff now. The formal okay. formality. Hello and welcome back to Made in A to Z. We're continuing recording. We did Prowler, but we're decimated to half the crew. And Eric and John didn't seem that sad to leave today's topic in our hands. Uh, And I guess we are okay with uh, taking the responsibility as well. So it's Melissa here and me. That's it. Hello. We do some of these. I don't mind. It's you fun. Know, I mean, this is like a weird, it's a weird song. Bit of a weird song, yes. Or is that where we're going to start? Is it a weird song? Well, it's weird in the sense that, A, it's on an, an album that is not everybody's favorite, including mine. Often in the bottom, yes. Yeah. The title is... I hate the title. I hate the terrible. title, too. And the, yeah, and terrible. You know what the title is? The title is Iron Maiden Trying to Be Funny. And listen... I love Bruce Dickinson. I love Steve. But they're not comedians. They think there are. They think they're comedians. They're not. And I love English humor. And they're not like, they're not Monty Python. They're not. They're not that. It's just their sense of humor is not that great. And so I get that this is probably a sense of humor thing. But it sucks. It does, yeah. And it's frankly just quite disgusting and doesn't you know feel good uh, it would be nice to have a british person here to chime in on this but i feel like every british guy is obliged to be a funny guy this, this comes with the birth waters you know you have to be funny you have to crack jokes <laughs> otherwise you're just like as stiff as a swede i guess or as stiff as a finn i'm half finnish and if finnish i mean the finnish are super funny but they're socially awkward and i feel like the brits are not you know, the British are funny. Americans generally don't get British humor in the first place. And I love it because I love I have a dry sense of humor. So I, I get Monty Python. I get Are You Being Served? I get all that stuff. So like Eric, who's not here, uh, who's a massive Whovian, as am I, I get yes. the humor in Doctor Who. A, lo- a lot of people miss it. But the thing is, is that Maiden tries to be funny and they're not are maiden trying to be funny or is it just bruce i I feel it's just bruce bruce it's like bruce's sense of humor is a lot like his fashion sense (laughs) yeah i agree don't get me wrong you know i love bruce but yeah i mean what i like to say is that he's got so many talents he's this polymath of the ages (laughs) so why not just let the humor thing go like (laughs) cut your losses yeah yeah don't try to be don't try to be a comedian on top of everything else (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but I mean, that's why I think it's obligatory, perhaps. Let's have a British guy or girl chime in on this, but I think it seems obligatory, socially obli- obliged to be a funny person. 
but yeah. I can't say I'm not born and raised in England or the UK at large, so I don't know. But I feel like that's the case, and also it makes sense because they are funny. A lot of when I traveled, I met a lot of funny British people. Oh yeah, like they're old, funny. Old, old like uh, retirees, super funny, you know. And uh, of course, I'm raised with Monty Python first and foremost, and then all, actually Simpsons, which is yeah. all American. But the early seasons of Simpsons and some great stuff. Uh, have they very have very that much have that cutting edge? Yeah. 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 No, I love I love British humor. Listen, I'm not a fan of The Office, which was hugely huge popular in the US, but mm-hmm. I like the British version. I like them both. I think that the humor on the American version lo- I lose something there. I actually relate more to the British version, then. Well, so do I, but I'm closer in proximity. But you are. But I mean, as as an American, I'm saying that as an American, I don't. I get the British humor better. I think the American version did something good with it that it didn't try to have the same tone. I get that, but I just, for me personally, I find the British version funnier. I mean, we have PBS over here, which is public television, Mm -hmm. and it's Channel Two where I live. And that's where you see all the British. It's where we saw Doctor Who, and that's where ah. you see Monty Python, and Are You Being Served, and um, what's the one with the woman Hyacinth? You know who I'm talking about? You know what was the name of that? Hmm. My God, I sure. can't think of the. Um, I'm actually not I, even sure about Are You Being Served. Are You Being Served is um, it's the thing about that one is so funny is because I'm in the service industry, so I totally relate right. to it. But it's from the 70s. Um, you'd have, probably have to Google it. So, but, uh, yeah, I like, I like British humor. And, it's good. And Bruce, and is Bruce not a part doesn't of it. really have it. <laughs> he tries no, he's to not have a part it, of it. Like he has no part in it. He has a part in so many things like rebuilding airplanes, servicing airplanes, flying airplanes, yeah. singing heavy metal. <laughs> well, he did books. that whole thing. He did that whole thing with Mr. Bean. Remember, did you see that whole thing? Remember he did that? Yeah, whole when thing. they shook hands. I've seen that photo. I've shared that and, photo. And yes. he, he was on yeah. his show and he's a big fan of Mr. Bean. He's a fan of humor. That's for sure. Oh, he absolutely is. He's a you know, and so is Nico, as we know. He's a funny guy. But if we try and be forgiving, Bruce maybe has been funny at some occasions, at least. At least. Oh, absolutely. Quirky. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure yeah. he's been. I'm sure he's been. He's Steve, been I don't think Steve's trying to be funny much. No. Much <laughs> this is the thing. Here's the thing about this this song title is I kept thinking, I can't believe Steve signed off on this. Do you have the credits in front of you for this one for Public Enema? Uh, let's look him up. I, th- I know it's a Murray tune. Maybe it's a Murray Harris. That would make the most sense, I think. Yeah, I think I think that that's what it is. Let's have a look here. Have a look. Let me Public Enema number one, hopeless title. It is. Yeah, I don't. It's a bit nineties as well, isn't it? Like trying to be more. <laughs> I don't know what to say. More disgusting, more uh, less grandiose, perhaps. Like going from seventh son of a seventh son, or the prophecy, or anything like that. Only the good die young, and then you go to Public Enema number one. I mean, I think it's tongue in tongue in cheek. Yeah, well, obviously it's a wordplay with enemy. Yeah, but I mean, enema. No one wants to. <laughs> no one wants to hear about that. Nobody wants to hear about an enema. No, no. Okay, I, I found the lyrics. That's good for later. But I didn't find the credits here. Maybe I should just dig out the, the album. I might have to dig out the album. Okay, it wasn't Mary Harris. I got the album here. It's actually Mary Dickinson. So it might be Bruce trying to be funny. Yeah, there you go. Harris is not funny. Like, 
public anima number one is like a tongue in cheek thing. And that's not, that's definitely not indicative of Steve. Correct me if I'm wrong, but has Steve ever really tried that? Steve has never really uh, tried to get onto the comedy. Uh, Prowler, but Prowler, I think, is just funny unintentionally. <laughs> I think it's unintentional. <laughs> that's him trying sure to be though. funny. It is also funny. More funny than it this is, one, I would say. It is, fu- it is funny, but yeah, I mean, I think that's the closest he gets to trying to be funny. <laughs> He's that funny. But okay, look, part of the reason that I wanted you to join for this tune is that we've only done these early stuff with you. This is not right. particularly late, but it's getting there. It's later. Bit. It kind of uh, prompts us to go to you in 1990, because if we go to me in 1990, I'm three years old, I'm going to four. Obviously, there's nothing interesting about that. <laughs> Sorry, all three or four-year-olds, but you're not interesting. I was not three, I'll tell you that. Exactly, and you had 10 years as a fan, this album drops... How is it? So I buy it first. I buy it when it first comes out, you know, and I'm like, what is going on with these vocals? This is a weird album for me. It's actually um, my least favorite Iron Maiden album You're not because the first I just do not like Bruce's vocals on this album. And the funny thing is I saw this tour. It was their stripped down tour wasn't a lot going on, yep. but it was, he sang in his regular voice. Tail yeah, Gunner was amazing tour. live. Like they played songs off this album and it was dynamite because he was actually yeah. singing. I don't listen to this album on a regular basis. It's not like something that I, I pull off the shelf because I don't enjoy his vocals. It's kind of how I feel about Tattooed Millionaire. Mm. Um, and he, and he kind of did the same thing with the, the following album. And what's weird is this is my least favorite album. And yet for me, the two worst Iron Maiden songs are on the next album. I, uh, I think I'm with you on that one. Yeah. Pretty much. I think. Yeah. Yes. I think everybody is pretty much with me on that. Yes. Just the thing about this song is if you like, I, I'm looking at the track list and I'm like public enemy number one. What is this? If you listen to this song, it's actually not a bad song. His vocals, not so much. I mean, the lyrics, he's singing great. Music-wise, I actually like the song very much. Actually, a side tail gunner is my favorite track of this record. And this record is not high in my hierarchy either. Mm-hmm. No, like we had a, our youngest fan to date was on The Prophecy, Teal, 18 years old. It's his least favorite album as well. You know, it keeps yeah. reoccurring. The band ha- haven't touched a song on it for 20 years. Right. Which I think it stands Which, out from. Not for nothing. They, I wish they would rip out Tail Gunner because Tail Gunner Live is no joke. If you go with the first 12 albums, so that's up until and including Brave New World, this is the most untouched. Absolutely. And Bruce. And, and maybe, I don't know, maybe Bruce doesn't it, know how Bruce, to sing it now. Ah, he can sing it better now. That whole voice is just weird. The whole, and, and I get it. I mean, he's, I mean, Adrian's gone. He's on his way out. It's a weird time. For the band. I get it. It's a bit of a decline, yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a weird... You know what's weird about this album is... So, Seventh Son comes out, right? And it's pretty much a masterpiece or pretty cool. I know you, for you, it's a masterpiece. My favorite, yes, yeah. Yep. It's And Nesbitt Nesbitt actually agrees. You know, I think think both Nesbitt and Josh from Talking Maiden both had this at their number one. It's close for me. It's not my number one, but it's close. It's a great album. So when this album comes out, right, we're mm-hmm. like, oh my God, no Iron Maiden. And then it and then you're like, 
what is this? Because it wasn't a progression. It was like a step back yes. and not a step back, but it wasn't a step back to the first album or the second album. Cause that's counting it yeah, as, Oh, we're going to like, we're, we're going back to our roots. That was a company it line. Wasn't, it wasn't, <laughs> but it wasn't the, it wasn't that it was a step down, but it wasn't going back to their roots. Cause their roots had a lot more heart. Yeah. That's the problem with this album in general is that it doesn't have a whole lot of heart. I mean, you get to Mother Russia, which is already Ugh. been done, or whatever. But Ugh. I don't. I actually. I don't Russia. dislike that song, but that's the quote-unquote epic on this album, and so that tells you all you kind of need to know about this. Album. Yeah, yeah, that's the epic. But I want to run this by you. I've, I've run it before on at least one episode in at least one of the shows, but I find it interesting. And it is: is it ever a good idea? for a band uh, let's limit it to a rock band or heavy metal band or hard rock band is it ever a good idea to attempt to get back to your roots and no. i would just quickly say okay that was a quick response and i kind of agree because you're you're not that you're not 20 anymore you're old now here's like, the thing well, is they're you not can old, never... actually they're not old that not no prayer but they're much older still and they're much more experienced and they can't hide it so yeah. it kind of and... uh, you know, it's almost like you put onion on your ice cream. Here's Bruce, 65 years old now, singing Prowler. Yes. That's weird. That's a weird thing of a 65-year-old guy singing Prowler. Like, it, it, it just, yes. that song doesn't work for him now, right? It doesn't work. They can't, you can't go back. You can only go forward. You can only go forward. You can't pretend like, you can't pretend like you're, 20 because you're not you've had so much more experience so much more things have happened to you there's so much more shit in your head and i know because i'm an old person you cannot pretend as much as you'd like to pretend like you're you know you're 25 again you're not and as an artist and a human being you evolve and so if you think back to even now, and you're considerably younger than me, but if you think back to even when you were 20, yeah, the things that you thought were important, the things that mattered to you, the things, the way you looked at the world is so very different. Yeah, so you can't recreate that. And, and you know, Prowler 88, we talked about that, Prowler 88. I don't like it. It's fine. It's serviceable. It sounds great. But you can't recreate what happened in 1980 or even before that with the Soundhouse tapes. Yeah. You, can't, you can't. You can't go back to that. No, no. You can't just you know throw another guy up front and 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 do that. You just can't do that. It just doesn't. It just doesn't really. It doesn't really work. You have to evolve. Yes. And I'm all for revisiting, you know, I go and see bands that do the, you know, I just saw Steve Hackett do, you know, Foxtrot at 50. Oh, nice. And great, guitarist. and it was amazing, you know, it, but it was still different because it's not like he had, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't Peter Gabriel there. So it was still no different. One, I mean, it's a different playing the old stuff. So it's right. It's like, it's, it's, a di- it's different. Cool. It's him doing it. He did a great job, yeah. but it's, it's still different. He wasn't, he was. He was celebrating the album without trying to pretend like it's 1973. Yeah, yeah, it's no, not. That's of course, in like 2005, Iron Maiden earlier, that's not any problem at all. Actually, in fact, no. I much applaud that. 
absolutely that, uh, that initiative and if you look uh, in, in my case i'm 37 so i'm no spring chicken not at all right but also i'm I, actually i'm older than maiden at no prayer considerably older right but uh, everything has switched since as well like 37 was super old in the early 90s in the in rock like people wrote about the purple being super old men in the like late 70s and they're yeah. still on so it switched you know it drifted yeah. a bit no it's like, very different yeah like 40 is not that old the, today do you know the golden girls you know that tv show the golden girls only because of John in uh, in uh, the Deeper Podcast. They keep talking about it. You watch that, and they're all about the elderly ladies. They're in their 50s. They're younger than me. And when I remember when I was watching it, I always thought they were like old ladies. And they were all in their 50s. And if you look at photos from Sweden from the early 90s or 80s, like politicians are that are my age, they look really fucking old. <laughs> like this. It's, you know, I think it drifted quite a bit. But for me anyway, I even for me, I don't really go back. Next year is going to be the 20th anniversary for my first release. It's going to be re-released again, reworked. But I have made a point of not adding any other guitars than the original ones, not redoing any voices, because we could all do it better. But I feel we, it's more about honoring what happened. And for me, it's cool that, oh, shit, my, my firstborn is already 20. Like, yeah. Uh, old, old enough to it. drink in a year in the States. Uh, so I like to revisit it as such, like pay some tribute to it. And this is where we started. But I would not, I, I mean, to be honest, I've meddled with the idea of re-recording songs. But I'm glad I didn't. Because I've no. got a lot of new songs all the time. Why go anywhere but forward? Absolutely. Really? I agree. It's fine to revisit. But this album is a little bit weird for me because it was supposed to be like a step, oh, a step back, but it was a way step back. But it wasn't a step back in a good way. They didn't have that in them to get back to, I feel. Like no, they didn't. They didn't. Killer, they, listen, is gone. Bruce has got one foot out the door. Adrian's gone. Like, it, grunge is doing its thing or whatever. It's a whole weird time. It's a whole new world. And they're... And, in 1990, they weren't chronologically old, but they were old in the whole scheme the of the business, thing. right? They were yeah. played out. They were they were old men in that sense. And they looked they were old news, right? They weren't necessarily old men, but they were old news. Yeah, and they looked a bit old with those blue jeans on, and it's like like they didn't look like they didn't look cool. They're child children of the late 70s, early 80s. You know what I mean? Like they weren't hip with the times. And yes. so for a lot of people, Iron Maiden wasn't cool anymore. They were they were old hat. They were old news. And like, for you? Like so many for me, no, because I love them. But but I was disappointed in this album. I still went and saw this tour. I only saw this here's how you know that this is not so good, because I only saw this tour once. And right. everybody knows I travel. There we go. So I only I saw this I saw this show one time. So I'd like to reconnect to something you said before, and it's the fact that he sang more like Bruce Dickinson on the tour. This song is featured on a, on a very good, um, I guess you could call it bootleg, but it's kind of professionally recorded, uh, Sledgehammer. Turn to 
Bruce. Yeah. That's not Bruce doing his whatever his Nirvana thing or whatever. We call it the doing. Angry Fox around here. That's what he's doing <laughs> on that record, right? And I, I feel rabbit, it's heavily, heavily inspired by Guns N' Roses. Actually, yeah. I think it is. Don't do that. You're not Axel. Stop it. You're not Axel. No, no. Do you? The best bands, even the ones that have their influences or wear their influences on their sleeve, are the people that follow their own heart and do their own thing and follow their own voice. Don't try yes. to sound. You're not a tribute. I mean, well, you were in a tribute band, but I mean, you're not in a tribute band. Yeah, well, all of us in the tribute band have original acts. Right, of course, right. That's what I mean. But I mean, that's what I mean. So just do do you. Just do you. Yeah. And so I was really, I mean, I don't know. I mean, Bruce was obviously in some sort of like uh, identity, you know, crisis. identity crisis. <laughs> just the whole he was band. Some sort of, maybe the whole band in general. Bruce, perhaps. And, and I perhaps. think. And I think that maybe they they were sort of floundering. They were sort of flopping. They kind of didn't didn't know what to do. And there's that whole like bridge. So 1990 is an interesting year because it's still there's sure. a lot of hair metal going on. It's right. It's not. It has the tide hasn't completely turned. 1990 no. that is very hair. I've been there. I was there live. Very hair metally. Very. Metal was still huge. You had, you know, your Warrant, Cherry Pie, and all that. And Thrash was getting really big. Rust in Peace, Seasons in the Abyss. Thrash is getting on, getting radio, airplay, whatever. And, you know, Metallica's done their thing. And, but, like, it, it was a weird paradox because people sort of have this impression that 1990 came, the calendar flipped, and then everything flipped. And that wasn't what happened. It was not what happened at all. 1990 was a huge, a huge year for hair metal. I call it glam metal because we never called it hair metal in the 80s. Um, it was, it took some time before, you know, that sort of half, that sort of progression happened. But there was stuff bubbling underneath. Right. There was still that sure. there was that bubbling of things where people were starting to hear about the sub pop bands. They were starting to hear about Screaming Trees and Mud Honey and and all of that kind of stuff. They were starting to hear about it. So it was bubbling under and hair metal or glam metal was eating itself because it was parroting itself over and over and over again and getting Went so ridiculous. quickly as well. Right. Like, it, it was, was just so getting quickly. stupid. Right. And then you've got Iron Maiden and they're just in like this weird place. and. In a lot of ways, they got lumped into the whole, oh, they're an 80s band, even though they were never yeah, a glam sure, band or whatever. Sure. But but like when people are throwing shade, they they throw the tarp wide. So they're yes. like, oh, you know, we're just going to throw them underneath, you know, and and everybody felt that from from Dawkins to Saxon to, mm -hmm. you know, everybody, everybody felt it. Whether you were a new wave or British heavy metal band or a band. Even a band like um, Dawkins or um, Def Leppard, who was sort of after the new wave of British heavy metal and then going into the hair glam metal. Yeah, scene. arguably they were part of the new wave of British heavy metal, but left as quickly. Well, they as were. They, could. They, they were. Like, uh, I mean, Joe Elliott will argue that point with you, but he's Greg wrong. told me they flew that coupe as soon as they could. I agree they, with that. It, but but they but they were that first album is. But they were also in that. In that 83, 84 thing where it was the tail end of the New Wave of British Heavy Metal, but it wasn't quite hair metal. It was, um, you know, you had Europe, 
um, Def Leppard. Uh-huh. Um, Dawkins was just starting out. Rat was just starting out. Even even uh, Motley Crue was just starting out. So that's uh-huh. that, that weird period. I don't know what you sort of call that period. So you have this whole thing where you have the new wave of British heavy metal, then you have that middle part, and then you have the glam. And Iron Maiden sort of fits into that whole that whole genre, right? Because they're pre, very early on, New Wave British Heavy Metal, then they're New Wave British Heavy Metal, and then they've got the period in you know eighty three where you know Peace of Mind comes out, and then of course their heyday eighty four, eighty five, and onwards. And so for a lot of people in nineteen ninety, they don't know what to do with them. They don't sort of fit the narrative. One of the interesting things about Iron Maiden is that they don't fit into the thrash is becoming massively popular and grunge is becoming massively popular. And power metal is a thing in Hamburg, Germany and a few other places, but it's more underground. And so they kind of become dinosaurs and people kind of just don't even know what to do with them. They're just kind of like where do they fit in? Because at the time you have to like fit into a category, but you can't really fit into a category. And so they're just trying to muddle their way. And then you've got the dissension in the band and you've got all, you know, Adrian leaves and they, and you know, that sh- that shook them. I think Adrian leaving them shook them to the core. Shook them hard. And in hindsight, we can see why, but it's, it might have been surprising to the current fan. Steve is like, is this the end of my band? Yeah. So he's nervous. It was like a break. Dave ain't done anything else, so he's probably nervous because he's like, I ain't never done anything else. I think Dave is not a nervous kind, though. It's just like <laughs> no, I don't I'm mean not, literally, but you I'm know what I mean. Like, he's just kind of like over the top. He's just, oh, I love, yeah. I love how chilly is. But I mean, he, you know, he yeah. might have been like, do I have to go look for another job? I don't know, but I mean, look at it like this: Adrian's leaving. Maybe people then. Uh, well, I could ask you, but. Uh, for me, it's all like hindsight is 2020. It's very obvious that it was a big thing, but maybe at the time you wouldn't think it would be such a big impact of one of the guitarists leaving. What would you say? I would say that for for me, for a lot of people, it wasn't that big of a deal. It was a major, major deal when, as down the road, Bruce leaves. So for a lot of people, they probably not even noticed that he mm-hmm. left. Because casual. Like casual you know fans, what I mean? Yeah. Casual. Yeah. Casual fans. Yeah. The hardcore, you and me and the other geeks that listen to this, mm-hmm. we knew. And I remember having a discussion with a friend of mine about the fact that Adrian Smith brings a lot to the table because he is a sensible songwriter. Is this conversation back then? This is a song conversation back then. And unfortunately, cool. my friend Linda, God, I wish she's gone now. God rest her soul. If she were here right now, she could tell you this whole story about her and I having this discussion because she's just like, is that and I said, but he's a sensible songwriter and and this this actually matters, you know, and, and we'll see what happens going forward. And you probably knew like Moonchild, Kenneth of Madness, Strangers. We were a liner notes reader. We knew, you know, wasted years. Yeah. We knew we, you know, um he's got a songwriting sensibility, right? And he's the guy that yeah. kind of brings I don't want to say the pop because that's not the right word, but he kind of brings some radio friendly, casual friendly. And a lot of his songs are the songs that the casuals know. So he brings that whole audience in. They're known for their twin guitars. Now one of them's leaving. Now what happens? Because we don't know about Yannick yet. You thought they would actually continue with one? I don't know. 
we 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 talked about it. Absolutely talked about the fact that are they going to what are they going to do? Are they going to get another guy? Are they going to continue with one? Who are they going to get? Oh, maybe they call Dennis and see if he wants to come back into the band. <laughs> We're spitballing. Yes, much, much much like we do today on Zoom. We're in my living room drinking beers, smoking weed, and yeah, you know, expounding on you know our thoughts on the matter. And you're thinking, oh, well, you know, I mean, what are they going to do? Are they because they can't? Because I because I said to my friend, I said. She said, well, you know, they can't go on with I said, they can't have just one guitarist because they can't do that live. She was like, no, I agree with you. They can't do that live. We actually entertain the idea of, oh, they should call Dennis Stratton and see what he's up to. Well, Dennis Stratton was actually a great guitarist. When uh, Tigers of Pantang, I think, at that Underrated time. Underrated guitarist. And he had the backing vocals as well, much like our friend yep. Adrian. Much like Adrian, we kind of he kind of uh, crafted the role of Adrian. Yeah, Adrian kind of slid into that into that role. Yeah, and we talked recently with Matthias and with Henrik about Adrian's skyrocket career as a guitarist, coming in as a he was the rhythm guitarist and singer in his band in Urchin and also in Broadway Brats. And then now you listen to the Prisoner and the lead work. He's a guitar hero within like a couple of years. It's pretty cool. I don't know if it was with oh. To smith guitar or whatever it was but it's it's um adrian talking about how he was he had all these songs but he was nervous but he felt like if he didn't come forward and tell his band to say to this band this is my stuff and i don't know if you're gonna like it but he said if i didn't do that then i would be i would be stale and i would be unhappy in the band did you see that article send it to me because i haven't seen it but connected to adrian even a few years later even in 86 he wasn't really uh, confident to show wasted years yeah, it was more I like know, Steve I found know. And, that, and that's what he was saying in this article. He's saying how I, I was I was really nervous. But then I said to myself, if I don't do this, if I don't contribute to this band, I'm going to be really unhappy and I'm not going to be yes. able to produce anything. This, he said he found his place because Steve was writing longer and longer songs. You know, rhyme was coming about. And he kind of found his place in doing the, the I guess, with, for lack of a better word, sensible hard rock. Like two minutes, which is still quite epic, actually, if you look at it. But but yeah, he found his way in there, and he needed it. Adrian, I would argue, is not just a musician. I think he's kind of the guy that picked up the guitar to write songs. And it strengthens that argument that he was a singer in the early bands and that he's been a prolific writer. And I, I feel the same. Like I never got into guitar because I felt guitar was so cool. Like, whoa, I want to play guitar and show everybody how good I'm at that. It was a tool for writing songs, which I've done ever since I started, no matter if I've been active on stage or not. So I think Adrian could be similar, which makes it really cool that he is such a good guitarist, though. He's so good. So that's just cool. And yeah, the band must have felt it. A major songwriting force leaves. And maybe if we turn it around, Adrian probably felt it, like with the direction. Because he 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 wasn't happy with the direction of the band, and that's why he left. Yeah, and we know he left during production or pre-production, writing. When the writing came together for this record, that's when he left. And probably he felt like, like you said, the place for him in the band was very important to him as a songwriter, as a contributor. And he probably felt like with where they are going, there's no room really for what I want to do. Which is interesting because if you think about the fact that his songwriting is, as we've said, you know, kind of catchy, radio-friendly, whatever. When you, got to, word, you when you go to you go to like okay so you've got you've got um 
Seven Sun, right? And so that's their quote unquote prog album. If they stayed on that that trajectory, right, it would have been prog, right? And then, but instead they didn't. Yeah. And so it's interesting that he was like, even they're going back to their roots, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm out." Where he wouldn't yeah. be like, "Yeah, this is great. I'm going to do a bunch of really short, catchy songs. It'll be great." Yeah, but I mean, he was probably the, maybe the one that could really feel like there's no sense in us trying to do killers now. We are not those guys. But uh, yeah, I thought we'd dive into the song deeper, but you brought up 1990, so I had to have a look at it. And there's a few, like, you can draw a few conclusions what happened there. Uh, Amorphis, you mentioned last episode, they started 1990. Uh, At the Gate started 1990. Brutal Truth started 1990. Sentinex, another Swedish um, death metal band, Converge, American uh, sort of uh, hardcore, The Crown, more like... Death metal, I guess you could call that, or so, so like there's new stuff happening, but it's happening more in the in the underground. Pantera is like you know, uh, yeah, Cowboys biggest, from Hell is great. I think his biggest thing since sliced bread. CN started um, uh, there. Were, Tool got the start as, as well. Like it's a, a one of those. Well, most years, I guess, if you frame it that way, it could be a a turning point. But I feel it's a bit of a turning point. And I've said before, and you can either confirm or deny it. But I feel like this is when it started to move over heavily to the state side. Thrash and metalcore, right? The hardcore, right? Those two those two are really uh American quote unquote inventions or for lack of a better word or whatever. And and that really it absolutely did. It absolutely did. And you know, the the underground stuff was the the power metal, the Swedish... Yeah, some Swedish death metal hybrids started out like in flames. and That was more underground. But it was out there. It was super underground at this time. Maybe Shock Schaldener in Florida had heard it. Evil Shock, as he was yeah. known then. He might have heard it oh, via tape trading, but right. um, obviously it was not in any way established. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. At that time. But you get like uh, the American bands again, like Megadeth, Rust in Peace. You got Slayer, Seasons in the Abyss. You got Cowboys from Hell, Pantera. And, um, you know, I feel like it's moving stateside. It's going stateside for the stuff I like anyway. You know, the stuff I like, it's moving away from Britain. It's being just starting in Sweden. So you can't count Sweden yet. That's later. Yeah. Uh, except for like Europe and Bathory and a couple of OGs. Uh, it's all going to America now. And I feel like, you know, uh, maybe that was the right thing. You know, it was. I mean, if it's 1990 and you've got Iron Maiden and Pantera, right? Mm. It's apples and oranges. Yeah, and arguably Cowboys from Hell is so much better than No Prayer. Oh, God, yeah. And then some. It is more heavy metal in a way, too. It's more heavy metal. Songs like Medicine Man or uh, Psycho Holiday, they're more heavy metal. It's where metal was going. And that's where you start to see, where you really start to see subgenres. I mean, there had always always kind of sort of been subgenres, but this is this is where you're mm. seeing legit subgenres. Where you if you go into a record store or whatever, there's subgenres of metal. There's yes. like there's there's hardcore, there's thrash, there's death, there's it's black, there's black, there's power, there's you know what I mean? There's all there's now there's all of a sudden there is real separation between the subgenres, which created a situation where there was a lot of metalheads that really planted their flag someplace. If you were planting your flag 
in the thrash yard. You're not Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden's no. not your band. Maybe they were 10 years ago, five years ago, whatever, but they're not now. I think this is a great point. I've thought a lot about this year, but never really, that's a, some, a succinct way to explain what it was. And if you look at what happened, bands starting like Amorphis at the gates in flames, all sort of in the death metal realm, and all Iron Maiden fans. They loved Iron Maiden. I've talked to them directly. I had to confirm directly that they loved Iron Maiden. But it sounded so different to Maiden, what they were doing. Clearly something had changed. Because they were not doing killers. No, they processed it differently. By means of magic. Okay, Henrik, a little music theory on uh, Public Enema number one. I asked you to come in and fill in here. And uh, yes. you told me it's an E minor. What else? Uh, what else do you want me to go through the keys? <laughs> or <do you> just <laughs> no, no, that, that was just like, uh, I guess, a starting no. point. Uh, is, it is, this a, yeah. is this a song you like? I've never been a huge fan of it, oddly enough, because it's mm. one of the very... I think it's a very well-balanced composition and everything. And, yeah. it's, and it's one of the songs on No Prayer of the Dying that sort of keeps that maiden... It has the harmony guitars and stuff like that. So it has... Even thirds, right? Even thirds, yeah. yeah. So it has this kind of... You can see the lineage from the 80s, really, yep. in it. Yeah. Probably why I like it. I mean, when we started this podcast many, many moons back... I told you that, ah, oh, Fate's Warning is my fave on the album. You're like, what? Fate's Warning? Yep. What? what are you talking about? And now <laughs> I kind of don't feel that. I don't hear that. And it's moved over to this one. But that's Tail Gunner aside, I should yeah. say. Mm. But, uh, <laughs> of course. But I think it's because it's traditional. I think it's like a basic bitch moment on my part. Just like, uh, feels good, <laughs> you know. Uh, I never played it before. I played it through now. And it is indeed quite traditional. Like yeah. uh, the intro melody, for example, with the thirds. Mm. It's like yeah. a very standard E minor type climb, right? Yeah, it is. And the thing is, it's also, um, as far as I understand it, I mean, it's difficult to tell when Dave and Steve have written a tune, but now mm-hmm. this time it's Dave and Bruce. Right. And as I understand it, Bruce only wrote the lyrics, which is... Interesting, is this then Dave's sort of like emulation of an Iron Maiden melody, harmonies and stuff? Did he work all that out or was that something that came automatically when they rehearsed it later? You know what, it's been something we've been on to, right? Like uh, listen to Dave's solo in Holy Smoke. There's a lot of Smith in there. Mm. Uh, he's trying, I think, his best and in my opinion almost, well almost, I don't know if almost, but in my opinion he gets somewhere 
in filling in for Adrian, both in composition and in his solos as yeah. well. And in this song, you got uh, something that uh, Ben might call a climber of a riff, also in the chorus, mm-hmm. with uh, that is very Adrian, I think. Exactly. It's an Adrian riff. Yeah, it is. And because if Steve would have written it, he wouldn't have done that uh, inverted chord on the, mm. the inverted G chord with the over B. He would have done a, a regular B minor, really. So, yeah, I think that's a that's a very guitarist moment of the writing process, I guess. I like those chords, but mm. uh, are they too uh, leading for you? I remember that was also years ago. You told me that because yeah. I like uh, harmonic minor. And you were like, is it harmonic minor? I felt it's a bit cheating because it leads so clearly into the tonic or into the key of the song. Yeah. It's similar with those stretched power chords, you could call them, or, you know, easy, yeah. easy, easy mm. chords. But I tend to like that. I like smooth, you know, <laughs> smooth uh, voicings. It's, it sort of depends on how, they're, on how they're used. I mean, in this case, it's since the chorus is in A minor, you get that lead thing going fr- from the... Yeah, basically the G in, into the C, then. So you would, you could argue you have a dominant thing going, but, but I, did, I don't think it works like that in the. No, not really. It's more of a feel thing. I'm because I remembered that just now that yeah. maybe it's like maybe we're not alike in that sense because uh, I recall you saying that. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah, cheating I, or something like that because yeah, I'm but, not so such a fan of the minor seventh. Actually, that kind of okay, you know, yeah. whole tone. I like the whole tone scale. Because mm. I like uh, Robert Fripp, yeah. but uh, but, but uh, <laughs> I I prefer the half tones, half tone feel, and you get a little bit more of that in this song, a little bit less of the rockarola yeah. thing. But I think I think that's the thing that's sort of I think that's Dave that we hear here that he do he's mm. doing this a bit more guitarically, if that's a word, and if it's not, I made it up now. It is a word now, good word. Yeah, <laughs> but and I think and I think it sort of it works because it it gives it a. a different kind of feel harmonically yep and also i don't i don't know i had to listen to it before we went on to this uh, conversation and one thing that i never thought about is that there's some kind of syncopating going on with one of the guitars during the verses Mm. it's always like But they're not. It's not like in Wicker Man where you get the da 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 da. Is is they're they're just hanging on there. Could that be Jan? That feels like a rocking old Jan. It's it's sort of sounding. It's in the general direction of the right speaker, so it might be Jan Janik actually. But it still it gives it a very different feel. I think. Yep. I was thinking about that um, key switch in the chorus to A minor. Uh, if there's any other tune that would do a similar thing. The only one I could come up with was um, Out of the Silent Planet pre-chorus. Has a little bit of that going on, I think. I don't know that one well enough. There might be another, uh, but, uh, I mean, it's not the very typical key change. No, I mean, where you have... has a bit of that thing going on, and even Prowler, when they go to, uh, to the F, it's almost yeah. like the, the F would be the sixth in, in A minor. Uh, Which, the, yeah. You see it, me crawling thing, you know. Through the bougies, yeah. yeah. But I think you have changes like that in Two Minutes to Midnight where you have the verses in A and then you have the bridge in E. Oh, the... Um, yeah. Yeah, um, I like that verse. That's another it, one with the guitarist. <laughs> it's very it's very gu- guitarist whatever I said. Yeah, uh, guitaristic. So, 
Yeah. <laughs> so they do have these things, and I, I'm sure they're all over the place if you start looking, but I haven't really thought about it in those terms, so mm. yeah. I'm not sure. So I, when I bought this album way back when, this was my least favorite song. I think it was because of the title, actually. But I already discussed that plenty with Melissa anyway. But I felt like, because I, for some reason, I knew what it was. I think it was because mm. of Jet Fulking. Blame Jet Fulking. Yeah, TV3. well, we can, so, we can blame TV3 for a lot of things, I yeah, think. Yeah, so <laughs> even that melody in the start was like a, a bit of a fecal melody the <laughs> first time I heard it and I had a hard time shaking it as a kid but, okay uh, that's, that's really no problem anymore but the, the title still stinks yeah L- it literally does. literally yeah mm. but I mean but I mean that's the thing with this album you have bring your daughter to the slaughter it's also very n- nonsensically jocular in a Buskis. Really, yeah Buskis. yeah let's use a lot of Swedish words no yeah. I mean you <laughs> use that for we can we can kind of make it a thing but because this mm. is uh, the most Buskis album I would say I think it is, yeah. Even Tail Gunner is like, uh, I think it's named after a porn flick. It is. Well, the, uh, Bruce claims it is, so yeah. we'll have to take his word on it. He also likes to take responsibility for the way this album turned out. He's done that several times in interviews. He's done that, but he's also been lamenting it. So I, I don't, yeah. uh, maybe that's, that's an effect of him taking responsibility because he's actually, he, he was into the idea, but then he understood that he didn't really like yeah what, what came out of it another effect is them never playing anything off this record i think yeah which i think is very boring i think that's on bruce probably bruce is like nah let's not but uh, i mean bring it order is a killer live track i think can be i mean there's a lot of stuff i mean there's loads of albums that are that they are neglecting i mean you have all the albums brave new world up until yeah the current true. the current album really Usually yes. never gets an airing, so... True, I mean, the second to last and the third to last, if that's even a phrase, but uh, those haven't been repeated at all, I think, since, mm. since their tours. But uh, we're not there. And also, I will mention, in, like, in this topic, uh, Killers is usually quite neglected as well. Yeah, exactly. Overall. But, okay, music theory on this track, mm-hmm. there's another thing. They, they move up to B minor. I in, think in, that's for the solo, act- yeah. Kind mm. of exciting for me. It works, that little... Um, because it's not straight into, I mean, they quite often modulate up when the solo hits. But yeah. it's a little uh, interlude. I think it's a good interlude. But, but isn't it a sort of, uh, for, for, forgive me if I'm misremembering this, but isn't it sort of like, you know, they're using this kind of... True. ...thing going, yeah. And then it sort of builds into the... Something, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, and then the soloing is over the it's over the uh, basic progression of the chorus, but it's in B minor instead of A minor, and I think exactly. that's very effective. And you don't have to throw in a lot of different riffs and stuff like that, which has become commonplace in Unmade nowadays. But then they made use of the material they already had, but varied it a bit, and I think that's a very good. It's very good songwriting, I think. Yeah, a smooth song. Mm. Uh, I, I don't think you're a fan of Judas, my guide, but I am. And I think yeah. this is a brother, a little brother, or oh, elder brother, you should say, probably, of, of that track. In a way, it's that smoothness, yeah. you know, and a little, 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 little bit of AOR in there as well. That's a, that's a bit of it, yeah, exactly. And I can see, I can see in, in terms of tempo and stuff, it's sort of like in the same Yeah, and also the, um, park. well, overall simplicity in terms of... Um, not like you said, not adding tons of parts. Mm. It's kind of cohesive, kind of nice. Uh, yeah. I like the track. Um, I'm not sure if it's 
I guess Tail Gunner is the best on, on the album. I, I guess, for me, but, it's definitely without a question. But that's not what this episode is about. No. I guess <laughs> this podcast. We 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 argued that this podcast might be about Tail Gunner in the end. Let's see. Let's yeah. see. <laughs> I'd I'd like to. I'd like to say that for me, for me at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> this that song has grown out of proportion now, but yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think mm. uh, I. We figured it would be a short segment this one because there's not mm. that much to say about it. Uh, it's yeah, nicely it's, written. Yeah, neat. it is kind of neat, unlike the title. Yeah, well, the title is. I mean, Bruce was given a little bit too much of a free hand, I think. Yeah, and I think he wanted to modernize, but he didn't really know how to. I, I think that's a I, that might be a very good analysis, actually. Yes, but mm. of course, uh, me and Melissa discussed this. I think plenty. It's, well, it's been a while, and we did the whole two-hour prowler before, and then we were on a few beers, and it was late. So mm. let's see what's in this episode. I don't know. Uh, would yeah. you put it on the list? I'm not going to say if we did. Uh, I will not do that. Right. I, I don't think it's. I don't think it. I'm not really, you know, knocking the song, but it's not doesn't really do anything that other songs have done for me before that so what it, what what are you missing is it uh, too smooth or too even or too friendly even musically it's, it's, too, it's a bit too friendly that's a, i mean that's a good way of putting it it's it doesn't really offer anything that and i mean i mean it's since we did the passiondale episode i mean that's the song that i really felt added something to iron maiden's canon in a way yeah and this one really doesn't, and I mean, it has Two Minutes to Midnight, and it has the other songs in the sort of like mid-tempo to fastish songs going, so... Yeah, the chorus reminds me of Flight of Icarus pre-chorus a little bit, mm. speaking of Adrian Riffs. So it is maybe a little bit potpourri, you and, know, um, yeah. pick and choose of, of the old maiden, and I guess I'm into that. And speaking of, of uh, Two Minutes to Midnight anal analogy, we have also the... Uh, the chorus is in the half tempo of the... Uh, right, right. Yeah. I think that's, this and that's, is... And that's uh, a bit of a neat thing, because I think it works. It, yeah. it makes it better. It varies the dynamics a bit. I think that's the discovery or, you know, conclusion for this little thing, is that it seems like Dave is trying to channel Adrian here, I think. I think Maybe might even be by the sign, you know, looking yeah. at some Adrian tunes and looking at Flight mm. Vickers or um, Two Minutes to Midnight and... And, and trying to get a bit of that in there, which is wise. I think it's wise. People miss him. Yeah, and also we must not forget that, as far as I understand, Adrian was part of the initial rehearsals for material for the to be new album. So he might have been in there influencing Dave's choices in the mm. arrangement or something. I don't know. I haven't got a clue. It just, just dawns on me now. So Yeah, well, the usual... Lowdown is that he quit during pre-production. That's what yeah. you read. And that's uh, maybe a bit rare. I haven't heard so many cases of that. No. Like, uh, like, uh, he, he's basically disappointed with where it's going. Yeah. And he's got it on tape mm. to, like, uh, pr as proof to himself. Like, no, no, no not going to do this. This wasn't what I wanted to do. And uh, So uh, actually, I have to ask you, though, uh, Silver and Gold? It's worse, right? It's not as good as No Prayer. It's something totally different. And I was never a fan of the AOR music that, mm. that, that makes up that album. But I, still, I can still listen to it. But it's, all, it's always going to be of some kind of nostalgia for me. I mean, I bought the album in 1989, 90, something like that, and listened to it 
very much because, oh, it's Adrian from Iron Maiden. I have to listen to this. I have to love it. Um, right. So I can't really judge it. Uh, Would it being like soberly. a good song? Lion or something? I don't remember. The Lion is a song that I think is okay. It's a B-side called Fighting Man that I seem to remember is okay. I don't know. <laughs> Fighting Man and Lion. It's almost going to be Monty Python. I want to be a lion tamer. <laughs> I want to be a lion tamer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, All I don't right. know. So we'll send the, the listener back with um, a little bit of uh, silver and gold then. Drab and awful. And whereas in most professions these would be considerable drawbacks, in accountancy they are a positive boon. Do you have any idea of what you want to be? Yes, yes I have. What is it? A lion tamer! A lion tamer! A lion tamer! Well, Prowler, we talked about how, whatever, how creepy the song is or whatever, but it was fun and there was there was spirit to it. And it's sort of I'm like... Mostly had fun this with whole it. this whole album feels void of fun. It yeah. seems like a chore. Yes, yes, I agree with that. And John was talking in the last episode about you know those albums that you have to like release because you owe your record company an album, and that's yeah, what this album feels mind. like to me. It feels like the oh my god. We got to get out of our contract and we got one more album to do. And that's what I feel. That's what I've always felt like this album was. It was just sort of like a stopgap or yes. whatever. Let's dive into the song again, play a bit of it. Original version this time. I mean, I like this. It's I like cool it. My problem isn't Bruce kicks in with those vocals. Yeah, it's very constipated. That's what it has for I am. <laughs> 
love this part. Half time, yeah. And then it goes full time. It's quite engaging. I love this part. And then that little fill over. I never really noticed before when it pans around. The section rocking. there is dynamite, and then it goes back to the whole weird, raspy voice thing. Yeah. We spent most of this episode explaining why we don't like No Prayer, but I gotta say I quite like this song. I think it's a good song. It's one of the better songs on the album, for me. Yeah, top two for me. And I love the chorus. Yeah. I really like the intro. Yeah, me too. I have two problems with this song. Okay. One is I don't like the title, and two, I don't like Bruce's vocals in the uh, verses. Yeah, and those those are pretty much overhauling the whole tune, right? Yeah. No matter how you dice it or slice it, it's going to affect the whole experience. That fucking title is so bad. <laughs> it's so bad. But if you, see this, if you see this live, it's totally different. I'd love to see this live. thing they do fall on your knees they bring it down to half time it's a bit rare for maiden to do that they don't often do that and i agree with you it's great i didn't like it as a kid but i think as a kid also that the title just didn't work for me because i already knew what enema was <laughs> why would i want one? address this i, I don't maiden, want to no, should address like seven sons and power slave you know like rhyme you, of you know what's, what, enema, what, what's weird about this the, the song title is we talked about on the last episode, we talked about dumbing the dumbing down or whatever and how dumb it is. And it seems like <laughs> they were so highbrow for so long and then they just kind of dumbed it down. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's not okay. But uh, we'll we'll play a bit further. It's actually a quite brief song too. Four minutes, 13. So it's not that long. He actually says Funk Lenema number one. You know, yes. A note where the Steve Harris's bass and the chorus, great. Absolutely. And this part I absolutely love. It is a bit hair metal, but it's good. And how the erases here, the bass comes in higher. 
Do 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 do. Adds tension. I think it's brilliant. You know what? It's funny because I just noticed something that you had said earlier about this was kind of hair metal-y or whatever. A little bit. Only a little bit. But I think that you... But I think you touched on to something about the fact that this this guitar solo is a kind of late 80s, early 90s guitar solo. Yeah. No, I, I definitely see that. A little bit towards that, maybe because guitar solos were still cool. Later in the nineties, guitar solos yeah. was a no go. Yeah, that Luckily, wasn't. Luckily, in nineteen ninety, they still they were still uh, still a bit of a rage. Yes, but uh, I have to say, I love this solo. I think it's great. I think it's melodic. I think it's uh, Dave is stepping outside of his comfort zone. He is trying to fill the shoes. I would love to interview Dave to ask him about like this whole period about like what was his mm, relationship with Adrian kind of when he left list. the band. And, uh, you know. yeah, we should answer that. But Actually, we I think first Dave look is at the, the most lyrics. funny. I think we went yeah, through the band. music. Too. Oh yeah, he's quietly yeah. funny. Yeah, it's very subtle. But I think we went through the music pretty much. I quite like it. I think it's full of cool riffs. I like the music I- a lot. Kind of a rock and roll ending. Some David ad libs. Yeah, we'll stand by it. One of my faves on this record. One of the two best, I think. But uh, let's have a look at the lyrics just for fun. Since we did uh, Prowler just now, we can compare them. See if is this this better? Is this uh, saying more? Uh, you know, it's just an interesting comparison. Prowler versus this. Yeah, one. it's a weird comparison. Very weird. I think no one did it before. Yeah. I never looked into these lyrics before. So when it all comes down the line and the lights, they turn to greed. So, okay, it sounds political at that point. Uh, and you race off with your tires screaming, rolling thunder. And the people choke with poison, children cry in fear. But you got one last bullet, one ticket out of here. Quite dark. He's talking about suicide? No, I think what he's talking about is where, like, um, you start a bomb but i don't mean like a literal bomb but i mean you you like you light it up and then you head out you know what i mean then you you cause chaos and then you slip out that's what, that's what i the get fuse is for lyrics. right the fuse is for you yeah to that's that's what i get from those lyrics is that somebody has like incendiary has caused whatever whether it's um an action or it's a uh, um it's a verbal thing, you know, it's something in the press or it's whatever the press comes later on in the, in the song anyway, but that's what I get. I get incendiary. They set something up and then they mm. screw it out of there. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Now you say it because what I hear is like a description of society. Yeah. Uh, cause a problem. 
and then you slip out the back door. Yeah, and that maybe is closer to it than suicide with that one last bullet. It's not really for your head. It's more like yeah, I don't think it's literally a bullet. I think it's just yes, yeah. You think it's almost like a um a Molotov cocktail, but not a literal mo- Molotov cocktail, but like. So then going into the chorus, does it change perspective, you think? Saying, fall on your knees today, pray the world would mend its ways, get to your feet again, refugees from the heartbreak and the pain. Is that a different perspective? I think it's that it's it's like them telling the person, like, you you cause a huge problem and now the earth, the world is in a in turmoil or whatever. You want to repent and sort of bring it back so that we can we can get off this brink, whatever this brink is. Yeah, I think that's better than anything I could come up with at the moment. So I'll just, I'll just co-sign. Just co-sign. Next verse. In the cities, in the streets, there's a tension you can feel. So that feels like against society or the state of, of the world or society. Uh, the breaking strain is fast approaching. Guns and riots, riots, riots. Echo on that one. Uh, it's quite self-explanatory, isn't it? This part. The politicians gamble and lie to save their skin. Fast forward to uh, Be Quick or Be Dead on the next record. Their bellies in the ivory towers. They're definitely uh, not loving uh, who's in power. No, no. And the press get <laughs> fed their scapegoats. Public enemy number one. I actually like that line. The press get fed their scapegoats. Yeah. That's yeah. still so much the case. It's so much the case still today. Absolutely. Like, you know, there are those scapegoats. The thing about this song is the lyrics are actually timeless. Unlike, so far, Prowler, so good, unlike the Prowler lyrics that are... Yeah, okay, yeah, well, we're supposed to... Good oh, on you. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, to I gotta edit to myself. I'm pa- I apologize, listener. No, 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 it's good that you brought it back because we were supposed to do that. I said so. And yes, these are better. These are better lyrics than Prowler, I would say. But uh, one last verse. A million network slaves. That's interesting. Maybe you have an uh, idea of that. It's the internet. internet it's not really I there think. yet. The internet is like, there's a couple of It's still new, but yeah, maybe not. But it could be TV. Yeah, media, could be. Yeah, network slaves. In an advertising yeah. age. That advertising. There's yeah. advertising. Like when I got the commercial TV as a kid, the, whoa, it was a lot of advertising. Yeah. And we didn't have nearly as much as you guys. No. That was another level. It is another yeah. level. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's uh, the Wild West. Uh, then this comes. I don't need a crystal ball to sell you. Your children have more brains than your drug-infested remains. That's getting kind of convoluted for me. What do you think about that? That's a weird thing. I don't know if he's trying to say that the next generation has their shit together better than you do. Yeah, maybe. That's kind of what I get. Like, maybe, like, the next generation is going to, like, fix it. Yeah, and then it's just California dreaming as the earth dies screaming. Makes me think of Tom Waits. Makes me think of Red Hot Chili Peppers a little bit. Well, that's uh, and that, 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 that whole thing, hawking back to how California dreaming and, and that whole yeah. idea of utopia and that whole idea of, you know, whatever, um, of, you know, peace on earth and all goodwill to men and all that. And that's not a real thing. So here's the kicker, though, especially good having an American on for this, because I feel in this period, Bruce was... Bruce was a little bit pissed off with America. I just said earlier this episode that heavy music moved to America. Yep. And, you know, of course, you had Guns N' Roses a few years prior even. Yep. And then I listened to that bootleg and Bruce is like saying these offhanded remarks about America. Like, you can do that thing they do in America where they set fire to the back of everybody's head with a lighter. It's called. He seems to be in a position where he's afraid that 
England is losing hard rock, America is gaining it, which also was the case. What do you think? Well, so it goes back to, funny enough, I, I listened to a um, history podcast called The Rest is History, which is out of the UK. And one of the people that does a podcast, he's a historian and, a, and an author. And he write, funny enough, he writes about America in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And he talks about the fact that England, even the, you know, whatever, passed the war and all this kind of stuff. In the in the seventy in the sixty late sixties and seventies and eighties, America became the dominant force in the world. That's where we became the superpower. Yeah, I was raised with American culture for sure. Right, right. Um, and it wasn't that way before Beatlemania and all that. It was you know the um, yes. invasion with you know all the band you know Rolling Stones etc. So I think there is a little bit of animosity that I don't know if the British at large have. Bruce for sure, though. But that the mantle is being passed. And you talk about how I think it's just not just in music. I think it's in general. American culture had become very prominent throughout the world. Mm. True. And I think maybe Maiden in general, and maybe specifically, I don't know, but Maiden in general was feeling that feeling because yes, prior to that, the years prior to that, right, America has started to be dominant because it was all about LA, mm-hmm. all the LA scene. How's it strip? It's all that, right? And San Francisco for the thrash. Bay Area, yes. Those are the two in the late eighties and early nineties. Those are the two dominant places. As far as the epicenters, as far as music, depending on whatever genre of music you like, it is L.A. and San Francisco. And then Seattle comes in. America and then Seattle comes in. Florida Death Metal, which is a whole underground. Very important to me, but not to the general public at that time. To me as well, but not to anybody else. But you're right. So it just, it's like there is this wave that went up the coast. It went from Los Angeles, San Francisco, up, up. To Seattle, I went right up the coast, yeah. and yeah, I think there is a little bit of animosity there, where you're just kind of like, we started this, we yeah. started the new wave of British heavy metal, which all these bands have drawn on. And you can say whatever you want, whatever, but all these bands drew on on the new wave of British heavy metal. They all grew yeah. up with it in one way or another. Yes, yeah, whatever. Sure. They all grew up with it. Kurt Cobain, loved his maiden. Absolutely, killer skateboard. Absolutely. Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, it goes on and yep. on and on. Slayer, Testament. Slayer loved Maiden so much. They were, they were all about Maiden, Priest, and Merciful Fate, really. They, yeah. They started. Slayer, Exodus, uh, Exodus Testament, Megadeth. everybody. They all loved they, it, they right? Loved they all, yeah, regular, right? They all did. So it's kind of a weird, I think it's probably a weird thing to pass the baton. And I think that there may have been some weird feelings to to feel like because he probably didn't feel like an old man but in rock world he was kind of an old man and you're sort of passing it so now all the people that grew up listening to you are now on the radio are now selling out shows or are now at the peak of their discographies right arguably i mean it's probably satisfying and weird at the same time it's an interesting point really it is because they are not that old so I feel like 
and this is probably what they did wrong, but I wanted to fill in on this, that they started to get inspired but by the guys that were inspired by them. Which is like, weird. Because it's like Yeah, it's like, that is the weird like, part, isn't it? You know what it's That's like? It's it like eating wrong. it's like eating your own. It's like a weird it's like a cannibalistic thing. It is, it is. It's the wrong way around somehow. And that's what I always felt like going like, nerdy about this. But I don't know if they got, here's the thing is, I don't know if they got inspired by them, but they just felt like maybe they needed to jump Threatened. on the bandwagon. Threatened, most likely. Threatened by them. Threatened, Bruce exactly. Especially, so especially now you're threatened by the people that you inspired. And it's just, it's a weird yeah. cannibalism. It's just a weird infectious thing. It, incestuous almost. It's like a weird. I agree. It's a weird thing. But, you know, the thing is, is that you can't fault them because you weren't there sort of living it. And I don't think yes. it felt like that in real time to them. Because you have to remember that everybody kind of tried to jump on that sort of bandwagon or whatever. I mean, every hair metal band did like their 90s album. Yeah. Right. And, you know, Saxon tried to evolve they did their hair metal thing they tried to evolve with the time every like everybody's trying to tr they want to stay relevant everybody's trying to stay relevant and listen this is a business everybody's trying to sell their product yeah actually i have an example there from last time from prowler steve not a fan of punk but you can't escape the context you're in you can hear punk there and for me when i started 2004 about then it was new metal, it was Meshuggah, it was all that rhythmic shit. I was all about the melodic shit, but you can hear in my early songs that there are some, like, the kick drums, like, and you can hear it on Blaze Bailey, Silicon Messiah, brilliant album, but you can hear a bit of that new metal vibe there, because you can't escape the time you're in, no matter how much you want to. You can't. Yeah. You can't. And you can't, the other thing is, and you can't, and I learned this a long time ago, I can evolve, I can like new music, and I can like all this stuff, but I cannot pretend that I'm a different age than I am or that mm. I grew up differently than I did or that I got the albums that I got in real time. I can't, I can't pretend I'm 35 years old because I'm not. And so you have to embrace who you are and where you come from. And then you can still, you can, you can do both things. They're not mutually, mutually exclusive. You can do both things. You can love the stuff that you grew up with. I've had an argument with somebody about this. You can uh -huh. do that and still be, and still keep your ear to what's new and what's yeah. fresh. Yeah, You can do both. Yes. And I try to do both. Yeah, I think you succeed with doing both. I mean, I know from your show that you, you've kept updated, but you're still telling your story, which is central to this, right? Like we tell our stories. I have a nephew and he's not much... He's actually not much younger than me. He's like 48 years old. Uh -huh. Anyway, he's going to see Madonna. He's a massive Madonna fan. Now, I'm not a Madonna fan, but he's over the moon to go to this show. And I'm so excited for him because go do your thing. Yeah, my sister was uh, so into her, uh, Madonna, dressing up like her and all of that. You know, she's born in 78. So yeah. perfect age for it. And yeah, I, I, absolutely. I feel, when I see those old photos, I feel it's very cool. It's like, uh, you know, a tribute uh, show, the tribute show I do. Yeah, Whatever I like you're into, just just be you. And and know, and here's the thing about the cool thing about the internet is that you can, it's easier to find because for a long time I was an island. For a mm. very long time I was an island. And then I found that there were more people out there like me. And so you can find your people. 
Yeah, it was a great discovery. I wasn't, I mean, I was more raised with the internet, but I wasn't ready for that positive a surprise. Like an early example would be Talking Maiden that we mentioned before. I see, okay, there's a Maiden podcast. No way it's going to be nerdy enough, was my initial thought. I listened for one episode, it's like, and then Nesbitt went, hold my beer. Nesbitt is a super nerd. (laughs) This is great. I'm going to listen until they end. And I did. Yeah. Yeah. So we've said a lot of things about 1990. Iron Maiden in 1990. Identity Crisis. Bruce is the angry fox. Um, The song has a disgusting title that makes no fucking sense. Couldn't see any Maiden fan praising this title. So we got all that in there. A lot of negativity or critical thoughts from us. Not really negativity. But... Have we said anything bad about the actual song or the actual lyrics? I don't think so. It seems like, well, I can speak for myself. I quite like this song. Lyrically, I like the song too. I don't, yeah. not listen, full disclosure, does it make the 50? No. But doesn't mean I don't like this song. Mm. I will put it in there, but it's Would one you? of those. That, yeah, I, I will, but it's also one of those. There's plenty of these that are probably not going to stay. I just feel like they deserve the consideration is like you know an oscar nominee but it's just gonna be a nominee you know it's it's like these two weird albums that have these weird songs and mm-hmm. some of them are, i mean there's yes. songs i love on fear i mean fear of the dark has the two we've said this before the two worst iron maiden songs in the history of iron maiden but it also yeah. has a couple of some really great songs too yeah the good ones are really good but that's what makes that album such a disappointment in general. It just like it almost wastes those good songs. But it's crap. Like where Weekend Warrior comes in after Judas My Guide. You could have gone from Judas My Guide to the title track. But you have to <laughs> land like what you're gonna do on Monday. Oh my what god. What are you gonna do on Monday, Melissa? <laughs> it's terrible. It's just like it goes from I love Judas Be My Guide for the soldier. And then it just goes It could go straight to the title track. And right down the shitter. That would be strong. But they had to go there. They had to go there to they the went support there. culture, the, the, the hooligan culture. They went there. But, I mean, the thing about No Prayer is just, I don't think it's a bad album. I think that it's it's not necessarily an inspired album. A lot of people put it at their bottom, including you. It's my bottom. Yeah. It's my bottom. Yeah. It's it's not inspired. It's wrought with problem. Mm. Uh, Bruce's vocals suck. No they Adrian. Kind of suck, yes. <laughs> I like just, how you just shorten it into they suck. <laughs> there's nothing else to say. They, do, they kind of suck. <laughs> and Actually, yeah. and it's just like, you know, it doesn't, it just doesn't really, the whole thing doesn't really work. And the weirdest thing, and I think this is the reason why No Prayer ranks so low, is just because what it came after. Yeah. You've written this amazing album, Seven Sun. And then you go into the studio and you sit on a fart pillow. It, it is a bit like that. Really, like it is. <laughs> exactly. Like, compared exactly. to Samsung, it's a bit like a but fart But here's pillow. my question to you. And this is an interesting question huh? is, right. do you think that the album No Prayer would work better in a different spot in the discography? I think there's material on there that it wouldn't be enough, but it could be a big chunk of a much better album later, maybe, or earlier, maybe. Hard to say later or earlier. I have to make my mind up. But I think like at least half of it is material that could have translated to a better product. Yes, if that's in any way answering the question. A lot of people have said you take this album and you move it, you know, you move it to, I don't know, somewhere else. But uh-huh. see, I can't really see 
I mean, the only way you could kind of move it to maybe the third album is if Bruce hadn't joined the band yet. Yeah, it's hard to move it. Maybe Deano singing those songs. Mm. Deano would do some of them better, perhaps. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, then that would be the third album. Uh, and then you would wait uh, for Dickinson. We'll go all the way back to 82. Like, like, that's what I'm saying. If it, they, that's uh, what I'm saying is, do you think that that could that's be... wild. Like, you take that and you move it. Wow, that's wild. Going Initially, direction. forward, but it's actually more interesting to move it back or forward. even if you... But if you moved it forward, where would you put it? 97 or something. Is Blaze singing those songs then? Uh, well, yeah, no, no. He's hopefully not. I, I don't look forward to hear Blaze sing these songs. So... That's what, like, where are you going to, where would you, you can't put that album really, it's a weird, because you yeah. definitely don't want to put it like 2000. The most reasonable is what you exemplified now. 82 is the most reasonable, but it's still not reasonable. But if you do that, you got, two, uh, you got two options there, right? You got two options. Uh, well, Deano sings it, or Bruce is coming to the band, and this is your introduction to Bruce. Yeah. And if well, that's an introduction to Bruce, is he singing the songs like this shit, or is he singing Bruce? As much as I love the thought experiment, it's too wild. <laughs> like, it is. It's, it's the whole thing. Is just, to, it is. It it's is. too it's wild. Like, it's like but, another dimension. But to answer the question, Paul sings it. It's released in 82. Uh, it doesn't work, but it's the closest I can find, like a, an alternative timeline. Uh, that's what I think. Yeah. I think, and then and then Paul goes goodbye, and they, br- they bring in Number of the Beast, and... Yeah, we probably would have been better in 82, I think. But it's also like not realistic. A lot of the ideas are born in a different time and etc. Public enema, it probably works in the early 80s as well. But we agreed they were better than Prowler, right? The lyrics. The lyrics are way better than Prowler. Musically, I say Prowler. I much prefer it. I I love Prowler. I I mean... It's a great song. Between the two, I'm going to go Prowler. But yeah. lyrically, yeah, I mean the lyrics, the lyrics are much better. These are much more thoughtful lyrics, much more yeah. introspective lyrics. Mm. Um, Extrospective as well, I would say. Looking, I wouldn't. I mean, ti- I mean, you can't say really timely because I don't know. I mean, flashing might be timeless. I'm kind of timely. Uh, well, not prowler, <laughs> but this one, <laughs> flashing is timeless. Yes, flashing is positively medieval. <laughs> That's what I feel like. <laughs> medieval times is when they got going. It's, just, it's timeless. It's timeless. Flashing yeah. is timeless, but this th- these lyrics are a little bit more timely, or a little bit more introspective. That's where we land today. Flashing is timeless. Public Anima is 1990. <laughs> I think I like the song. I put it on the 50 list. Let's see what happens in the future. It's going to be interesting. So we did rotation in Prowler, but do you have anything more to add? The only thing I listened to, other thing I listened to, which is not uh musically is i listen to a couple of podcasts i listen to the rest is history there's a history podcast from uh the uk which i highly recommend and the dark ages history which is a history podcast out of wisconsin right oh so that's it melissa and i did put this on the list but hey look it's i might as well not but i feel like i should so you gotta go back put it on the list for now yeah, one Eric of my will, top songs on the record. Eric it will is. debate it. Eric will debate it, yeah. He's like uh, like he said about Assassin. It's on the list. Well, not for long. Not for long it ain't. <laughs> Assassin is on the list? Yeah, because you know Hendrick. that. Hendrick likes that song. What? Yeah. Hendrick? <laughs> oh, Hendrick. 
All right, let's do the sign-off. All right. From me and Melissa, to you listening. Up the arms, it's called from the north, and... Cheers from Boston. Maiden A to Z, innit? <laughs>